good, thank you. Yeah, I'm alive and breathing. All good. Come down from Leeds? Yeah, Leeds last night, yeah. How was it? It was good, it was great, yeah. It's, uh, we're on the Q&A thing. We got the tour, the Monday's tour, plug, plug. But at the same time, we've got this Q&A thing going on, so now I have to put a few extra hours in. So uh, I'm a bit knackered. Yeah. All I can say, I'm fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing a couple of pints of Guinness can't sort out, mate. <laughs> tell you now. We're in the seven stars. You've been generous enough to, to grace us with your presence in here, man. Talk about your local back back home. Let's go right back. Well, I don't have a local anymore now. I mean, I don't do pubs anymore, you know, and uh, especially now I'm back. Uh, I'm back in the area that I was born in, so uh, we don't do pubs. No. My going, out, my going out now is... Either going doing shows or doing what I've done, and then you know when I'm not doing that, I just sit in front of the telly yeah. and fucking melt. Yeah. <laughs> Coronation Street. Coron, yeah. <laughs> I watch it all the catch up, you know, because I'm old and fucked now. You see, so I just have to, I just watch telly. Yeah. Who's your favourite character? Oh, he's, well, it's got to be him, hasn't <laughs> it? <laughs> there we are. There we are. Yeah. The murderous doctor. <laughs> James Boyd is with us as well. James Boyd, Dr. Ali, how are you, Paul? I'm good, mate, yeah, very well, thank you. Very well, nice to be here, nice to meet Sean as well today, so yeah, it's good, mate. Sean, I think a lot of the point of what we want to get from this particular interview is we want to go right back to the start, mate, if possible. Okay. And talk about where where the Happy Mondays started from, and, and from our knowledge, you are one of the absolute forefathers of, of the rave scene in Manchester. Um, and we'd just like to get a sense of... Of, of six of your dysfunctional account. characters getting together with learning difficulties. It's like, the UK, <laughs> it's like the UK's Breakfast Club, isn't it? Well, I, mean, I, I, I have seen that movie, but not since when it came out, so I, can, I don't really know what the fuck that is about. They all end up in detention on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, right. And between them all, they're all very dysfunctional. I OK, well... Highly recommended. And then we are now, you know, dysfunctional adults with... Even more complicated learning difficulties. I've got your book about the Hacienda, actually. Not Hooky's book, is it? It is Hooky's ah, book. It is Hooky's book. Okay. Well, what's your take on this whole... Well, look, how it's somewhere in there, Hooky says, like, he comes out with something like, no, it's rubbish, people, there were loads of people on here in this book. Because I haven't read it. Reading it. I haven't read it, because <laughs> I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really... I, do a lot of reading, I should do more reading, but I don't. A lot of your stuff's visual, visual, visual. If we're reading it, we'll visual bullet. Yeah, as well. yeah, we'll visual. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. contagious. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, basically, it's contagious. What? Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I get a bunch of pictures in my head, and I write comic strip stories. You know, I mean, uh, which come from anywhere. You know, bits of the news, bits of what people said. You know, and I, my job is to put that together. Some of it's real life, some of it's bullshit, and I mix it together and make a song. Is it true or is it a myth that you was one of the first people to introduce the ecstasy in that scene in, in Manchester? He's one of the forefathers of bringing that in. Was that, would you, a big My pals brought it in. Yeah, yeah the, the first day, uh, we was living, I was living in Amsterdam at the time, and one of the lads that I was living with over there brought some back in some toothpaste put in the toothpaste tube and brought it back and that was the first year that came into Manchester and then three guys that started bringing it in. And that was when, because yeah. what you've got to understand is the Hacienda opened in 1982 and the Hacienda was empty till the beginning of 1987. The only time you got the 2,000 people in there was if the Smiths was on 
our New Orleans was on, our Orange Juice was on, or whatever Edwin Collins or you know uh, bands that came. That was the only time that it was full, so it was open up, you know, most of the week, and it was fucking empty. You know, you could go in there on a on a Wednesday night, and there'd be seven people in. That all changed when the uh, when the year right. So where did the Happy Mondays fit into that whole timeline? When when did you really start to to notice it was snowballing and, and really start start to feel as if you, you were also part of that scene as a band? Well, we was given a bunch of pills. <laughs> <laughs> and our job was to sell them. You know, when you first make... Well, you know, we didn't make any money out of the music business. You know, we made our first album in 1986 and the first 12-inch and, and singles was around about 84 four or something like that and you know you, you didn't there was no advances you didn't get advances off factory records no all this oh yeah we signed to factory well none of that happened nobody signed to factory records until the 90s when you know uh, pills and frills was a hit album and then because you was getting visited by all the uh, the record companies from london and Factory was then bothered about them being poached, then that's when the first contracts came out and people started getting, you know, advances, small amounts of money, you know, uh, as an advance, but there was, there was none of that. So basically, you know, we didn't make any money off any of those albums till Pills and Frills came out. When Pills and Frills came out in 1990 or whatever it was, or 89, 1990, then the back catalogue sold as many copies as pills and frills so that was it but for you know did you still find exactly the same enjoyment if not more during that time like money aside like where, was it was it difficult well, was I mean, it frustrating I've been an arty motherfucker for a long time you know what I mean I mean you know but at the end of the day the I mean, rains are not in Manchester uh, of course you are and none of us had plan B's yeah. you know we didn't have a plan B and we didn't have jobs working in McDonald's or whatever there was no plan B so I suppose you scrimp and scrape don't you so that you can perform music and, and get off your nut. Like, yeah, and then it becomes the... easier when your pals give you a bunch of fucking ecstasy. <laughs> you know, and it was 25 quid a pill then. It started off at the MDMA ones was 50 quid a pop. Then it was 25 for a while, and then we settled at 15. Could you tell us a bit about how the band came together? Because I know your dad was very musical, wasn't he? Is... According, according, according to Matt Greenhouse, my old bloke was a fucking... According to the blur that was released, my old bloke was a fucking guitar hero for himself. <laughs> yeah. really, I've heard you comparing to Jim Royal before, is that more of it? Yeah, yeah. look, look <laughs> my dad did everything, you know, he was a postman, but then he, he, he did the Irish clubs, he did the folk clubs, he did, he, he did the comedy clubs, you know, I mean, played banjo, fucking accordion, the one thing he didn't play was guitar. So, uh, yeah, you know, my dad dabbled in that and then when the band when our band we got our band starting to take <laughs> off then we all bloke chat that in and came with us obviously when you're there getting stoned shagging birds smoking weed doing heroin smoking crack fucking dropping <laughs> in your old blokes on the scene as well you know you've got to get over that that is your dad and then your dad becomes one of the lads <laughs> and then that ruins your fucking relationship with your old fella yeah. for a long time yeah, you know yeah. all jokes aside so yeah but you know i mean music you know i mean fucking hell i mean i i wasn't i didn't like doing sound checks 
I'd turn up at the venue, you know, and, and the old bloke would be there on stage with a band doing the fucking sound check, singing all the songs, you know, and he really loved it. Did you see music as a passion that you wanted to want to do, or what, did you see it more as a, a way out of getting out of Salford and maybe you making didn't, it? You didn't really think it, look. Or was that my overthinking that? No, 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 no. To be honest, I, I didn't even... I grew up around music, right? Huge family with cousins and everything. And my Auntie Mary's family was 11 of them at all different ages, so I got to have... Fucking catching beef art rubbed down my ear, Elton John, uh, all the fucking skinhead stuff, you know, or ska music, reggae, uh, you know, uh, Northern Soul, Motown, grew up Bowie, a lot, right, with all the family into different things. So music was always there, and, and I always loved music, but it wasn't something I ever thought about going doing it as making a living out of it, you know what I mean? And it wasn't music that got me into being a musician. In in the early 70s, I went to watch two movies. One was called That Would Be Day with Ringo Starr and uh, David Essex in, and the, and the other one was Stardust. So it was like these two movies following this made-up rock star called Jim McLean, and the whole thing was wrote by this scouser who grew up in the swinging 60s scene in Liverpool. So he basically wrote this script and made they made these two films. And when I went to watch that, you know, I was always thinking, oh, if I'm going to do anything, I'll be an actor. And I went and watched that and then went, fuck, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of that, but I'm not going to die with an heroin overdose. But I'm going to do that. My personal experience of being in films came from... We did a homage to a, a Nottingham-based film called Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. don't know if you've ever seen it. We haven't finished. Albert Finney, yeah. Yeah, of course we have. Yeah, I mean, so, Albert's from Salford. Yeah. Is he from Salford, is he? Yeah, because well, at, at that particular time, the working-class actor was never represented in major British films. Well, Finney was one of the first. I mean, Ben Kingsley's from Salford as well. And Ben Kingsley and, and, and Albert Finney set up the Salford Players Theatre. And when I was a teenager, I went to that. So did you used to dabble? Was you just a lad that was out there just... Anything that would get me out of doing schoolwork. I mean... <laughs> Essentially, you know, is okay. Yeah, yeah. Dyslexia and, 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 and I'm ADD. I'm not yes, hyperactive. I'm attention. And basically, whatever yeah. goes into my nut is gone. Yeah. I don't take in information. So, unless it's penned easily. down through music, you, you're going to lose it. Well, that's how I learned my alphabet. I mean, I was 26 or 24 when I learned my alphabet through singing it. So, anything that would get me out of doing normal lessons. And then, you know, I mean, you know, when I was at school, I, I was 15 and left school. So I ended up, you know, I got a job as a, a messenger boy. Did that come through? Your dad was a poet. Well, that actually, yeah. I mean, I couldn't pass the exam. And you, you get in if your family was in there. Mm. But me, the one that span it, really, was my granddad was drinking buddies yeah, with the fucking postmaster general, <laughs> the big boss. So, you know, I mean, I pretty much failed the test. But, you know, it's like... It's because you don't do the test, you can do the work. My dad was a roadie for status quo for 15 years and then became a postman afterwards. So right, th there's okay. obviously something that is connected with the delivering stars letters. The line. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, it's just uh, you know, a pretty fucking easy job to get if you're a stoned... Uh... <laughs>
Sit, roll out of bed at six, don't buy two straight well, in the freezer, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know the score. Where do we go from here? Where should we, where well, should we, we delve about, into? Can we talk about the film? Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. <coughs> so I don't know a lot about the film. I know my cousin's in it and he's playing you. That's about as far as, yeah. as the actual I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, from day one, when it was ever first discussed, I mean, I wanted Jack to, to do me, you know what I mean? He's like the best fucking young British actor. Oh, fully, fully. Yes, I, know, yeah. I know we're biased here. We're biased. We're always no, 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 Stay up, stay up. In terms of, <laughs> of versatility, in terms of, of pure gritty in this particular day and age, he's, he's ridiculously talented, that man. Is. Really, really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Really good. I was really impressed. Yeah. He, he just seems to be able to pick up a guitar or pick up a script. Oh yeah, he surprised me with his guitar playing yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Man. Mm. Another man in the room is, is going to have a, a little bit of part of it. I think you've, you may have seen him. I think yeah. just before we started recording, it commented on how you watch, you watch his hair grow on telly. Oh, watch his hair grow. The murderous doctor. The murderous doctor. Yeah. James Boris is with us. How much of a pleasure is it to? Oh, it's a great pleasure, him? man. Like it's, it's a massive, you know. I mean, it's a massive part of history, isn't it? You know for a lot of people, you know, and it's, you know, I, I, it was crazy how it happened really, I went for a drink with Jack, Jack rang me, he's like, I'm in Manchester, I was filming Corrie at the time, so we're out in Manchester having a few beers and that, we're going to go for a curry, come along, so I went along and then Matt, Matt, I met Matt, and, yeah. um, and we all went back, we, we, we uh, had a bit of a session, you know, and uh, yeah, things were talked about, and he was like, look, I want to play this guy called Nathan, and I was like, oh, okay, okay, and, uh, you know, I took, I took nice. a pinch of salt, I thought, you know what, this is, Everyone's had a beer here. Just forget about it, you know. It, you know how things get when everyone's had a beer. And uh, next thing, got a, I got a call the week later saying I wanted to play the part of Muzzer. And then, obviously, due to uh, my filming contract at Coronation Street, I'm not able to do that anymore. So I'm going to play a guy called Wayne now, which is a bit of a smaller part. But it's just a, it's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure to be a part of the film. I'm just wondering where Matt's invented Wayne from. He's got to be. He's got an idea somewhere, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you must have, man. You must have yeah. Wayne somewhere. Well, that's Wayne. Wayne's my role manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, no, Wayne's oh, no, no, no. He's, he's off his head. He's yeah. off his head. Well, maybe, maybe there's a lot of scope for, for script meetings going forward. Wayne, if you'd get involved, James, you bet each other now. Yeah. That could uh, Wayne, this is Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a beer after this one. And then once seen that TV, that series on, I think it's on fucking Netflix, not Netflix, uh, YouTube, you know, YouTube when you pay for it, there's a series on there called Wayne. Oh, is it? Yeah. I, I think I've heard about it. It's yeah. really funny, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really funny. Is he off his head? Yeah, he <laughs> I mean, goes around wronging people who've been bullied or anything, he goes around, he can't help starts to fuck with him, you know, the bullies or anything, and he gets himself into these mad cartoon-like adventures, Wayne. So, yeah. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because he's got Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Wayne yeah. on the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Insane in the Wayne brain, Wayne. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Happy Mondays before we start talking about Black Grey, because it's something I really want to cover as well, but Happy Mondays achieved ridiculous heights. Right, let's talk about the, the peaks of Happy Mondays. Like you played Glastonbury on, on a decent stage and you've been around. Like you were the forefather of Oasis, Stone Roses, the, like all of these lads like would never have been able to do stuff without you pioneering that. And, and let's talk a little bit about that. Well, that's that. funny, actually, you should say that because I had, we had to, we was watching some old stuff from early doors with the Mondays 
and I'm watching it, and, and Matt was there, and I think Jack was there, and I, I it's like Liam Gallagher. A <laughs> 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 little Liam Gallagher night. But it, uh, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it's me, and I'm thinking, right, okay, this is way before Oasis as well. So yeah. where was he, man? Where was he? Sean? Was he what? Liam. Liam? Was he just in the crowd, or was he like, what was he doing, man? He, I mean, he was one of them kids that was just lurking around. around, yeah. And then the <laughs> yeah, next yeah. thing, he's in a he's in a band. What, one know? of our biggest like <laughs> talents from the Midlands, Jake Bug, who I'm sure you, yeah. you must have listened to some of his. Yeah, music. of course, yeah, yeah. I've heard stories. I've nodded about... to him. Yeah, right, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's a cool cat. But I've heard stories about him. He used to just linger about at open mics and that, and then all of a sudden was able to to manoeuvre himself into the scene and was was recognised and like, yeah. without people like yourselves, Oasis wouldn't have, have gone up like you're saying, a little Liam Gallagher and all that kind of stuff. But he tweeted about some of your song lyrics earlier. I don't know if you've seen that. Who like, did? Liam Gallagher. Oh Liam, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you still have a lot of contact with them boys? You, like, what's the kind of relationship there? Are you? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh... there's a lot of respect there, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm supposed to be doing something we know. It's funny because Noel got in touch. He said, Do you want to do something? So I said, mm, Don't know. And and then my missus says, Oh, you got got you got to fucking do it. So I, I did it. And then, you know, about three weeks later, their kid must have found out because I get another one. Oh, do you want to do something? <laughs> Doesn't matter what beef's going on between yeah. the guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still the fucking middleman. Well, you know, obviously, you know, fucking uh, Liam's trying to then fuck off Noel there by asking me, do I want to do something? Could you choose between them? Do you know what? They're both good lads. Yeah, you know, they are, aren't they? You know, they really are. I think as a, as a complete and utter neutral that's grown up on, on their music, like, you can respect, like, the fact they fell out. Well, they're brothers. I mean, they're brothers. I mean, our kids just tried to fucking assassinate me again. I read that yesterday. Yeah, 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 I read that yesterday, yeah. I mean, if he, he, he's, he's, he's always done it out, kid. I mean, if we ever have a leverage big enough, mate, nothing like that will be happening in the next five, yeah. ten years. Once, we're, right, once we're number one in the iTunes yeah, chart, yeah, mate, yeah. We'll, we'll sort all that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No shit, Sean. Yeah, no shit, Sean. I don't produce testosterone. And so the thyroid and testosterone, I have to put gel on my fucking legs every morning to, to, to produce this testosterone. And then I had some, you know, so that's been going on for 12 years. And then some of my tests shown up that my blood cells is all going dolly. Uh, so they should have just lowered my testosterone, but what they decided to do was take it all off me at once. And oh, within a fucking it, you know. two weeks of that, I had no hair, no eyelashes, no pubes, no armpit hair, a lot. A fucking lot just went. I can remember he hearing you on Chris Moyles when it just right. after happened in the summer and it, you didn't know whether, what, what it was at the time. Yeah. Is that what it was, coming yeah. up it so quickly? Yeah. That, that, yeah. With the hair loss. Just reducing the testosterone to, to niche. How has that affected you? Did, did that, well, it... I mean, if it was Peter Andre, I wouldn't be getting out of the <laughs> 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 You wouldn't even doing a podcast, let me tell you. I mean, no, look, I mean, you just, there's, there's only two styles about my hair, it's long or fucking scar, you know what I mean? So, but the only thing I do miss is, you know, the beard. I mean, I, I had to get this. Basically, you have to have these injections in your head and in your fucking eyebrows to, to give it a bit of a bump start, you know, to it. Because it's not gone, it's alopecia. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's there. So I've just got to have these injections and one day it'll catch. So you will get it back? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just a attempt. Yeah, if I spend enough money. 
Once again, if Talk Derby to Me podcast can sponsor your your regrowing of hair, mate, in any way, shape, or form. Yes, right. well, that's the next yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, I've got a question for you, mate. Right, right. listen, are you guys going to play Glastonbury? Michael Evish, like, Michael Evish still has a bee in his bonnet from what? 30 years ago, whatever it yeah. was, nearly 30 years ago, from when we first, when we first headlined Glastonbury. And what we did, because we was a bunch of, you know, young dickheads who, you know, we wasn't getting any big paydays or anything, so we got a laminate machine <laughs> and we made access to all areas past. <laughs> <laughs> And we knocked him out. Knocked him out. Black guy, right? Yeah. He was doing the t-shirts and the merch. And it was in the days when it was still pretty raw. It was more like the 1970s class than it is now. And and on security, we just had like you know fucking type L's Angel type guys. And they they picked up our guy who was doing the merch, right? He took him back to an abandoned fucking farmhouse and tied him up for two days, wanting to know where his money was. Right? And the kid would say, fuck <laughs> off. Every time he got some till, he'd go and bury it, you know, and then... Proper. You know, Proper. and then go out and do more stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Knocking out the passage. But they knew he had dough somewhere, right? And they fucking slapped him about. Right? And when he was ending, they let him go. And we got, where the fuck have you been? Anyway, uh, yeah, so but they didn't get us... Uh, they didn't get our, our dough. But Michael Evans was very, very pissed off about us doing this. And... You know, we were young, young lads and everything. And then last year at Glastonbury, because Bez has a tent there every I was going to say, Bez has got a tent, hasn't he? Bez has a tent every year, has done for over 20 years. And uh, he bumps into Michael Edis, and, and, and Bez said to me, he's still pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> the, first thing he mentioned, the first thing he fucking mentioned was that to him. Shine on Weekender, that's another event. So my hairdresser I went to see yesterday, I said, look, you need to pack my hair up, I'm going to see Sean Ryder tomorrow and interview him. She's been there the last four years. Talk to us a little about the Shine on Weekender. Do you have a good time when you go there? Oh, the Butlin scene, yeah, 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 right, yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's so fucking funny to go there because you've got this sort of 90s thing going on. And then, but also as we're going in, you've seen all these literally 70 year old punks and scar guys you know oh we've been fucking uh oh yeah we robbed off them all but these yeah, kids were uh, the ones that i'm on about the 70 year old punks and the 70 year old scar lot they have their weekenders there there's another one like shine goes on but for all the 70s punks who are now you know 60 odd years old and then there's another one goes on for all the fucking early 70s rude movement and rude girl movement so you've got all these characters you know, still with all the gear on, but like, you know, 70 years old, and you're like, fucking hell, right, yeah. <laughs> mad. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it used to be, because it was, I mean, at first, it's like, you know, I mean, it's changed. I mean, when we first started, if, if, if you was a band playing at Butlins, your fucking career was over. You was finished. Yeah. You know, what yeah, the yeah. fuck are you doing at Butlins, you know? I'm not, you know, in a 1950s fucking teddy boy movie. Uh, so, I mean, that was the attitude. I mean, now, I mean, it's it's acceptable. Everyone plays at Butlins, you know. I mean, those weekend things are fucking great. Is that a sign of getting a bit older, than Sean? No, that's the times are changing on now. The attitude to you know, the whole snobbery of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, just like you know, when reality television came along, it was like, and it still is to a certain extent, especially with the old school sort of 
people from entertainment and music where you know hey oh they're just known they're just known for being them no you know on the uh, reality television thing you know oh well what 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 skill have they got they're not musicians they're not actors to me i get it now that the reality thing is just a new way of breaking into show business instead of going out of the clubs night you know night after night or whatever you used to break into it you break into now you know, the ones that are successful at that, they've already got it inside them that they can own shows or like fucking Ryland or whatever. And, you know, so, but there was still a big amount of snob really. I mean, when I first got offered Big Brother, it was like, I was like, fucking what? I'm an artist. Yeah. No, I'm not doing that, no matter how fucking much I need to go. And Bez did it. I got offered Big Brother and didn't want to do it. So I gave it to Bez. Fuck it. Right? Yeah. Bez went and did it, I think he paid him 120 grand. Go on, Bez. So, Bez went and did it, and then I watched what happened, and also at the same time, you've got all the Americans doing their reality TV, so, you know, like DMX and later on Snoop and everything, so it's changing faster there, you know, you, keep, you see what's going on, and then you see what it does. I mean, it's really way, if you're in a band like ours, I mean, the easiest way now is you go and do a bit of television, and, you know, like I did The Jungle. And then straight away to bring new punters into uh, new fans is you know you're on the jungle who's that cunt oh Sean Ryder boom 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 oh he's in a band oh let's go on to fucking you know Amazon Music oh boom 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 download all his fucking albums it's cost me two pence all right listen to it fucking great yeah so that's how you you bring new a fan base into it and I mean our fan base now goes through fucking seven years old to fucking seventy odd. It's exactly the same with soap now. What you were saying about, you know, like times have changed, man. Like, yeah. you know, back in the day, if you was in a soap, if you're in a soap for 10 years, you ain't coming out of the soap. Mm. You, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't getting another job. Mm. Uh, nowadays, it's, it, that whole snobbery, that yeah. whole thing, that whole side of it's gone a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's that going to be Kylie and Jason, and, and, you know what I mean? It's quite lucky to that, what, what happened with their careers, you know what I mean? That's yeah, where, yeah, yeah. you know, with, with, with the soap thing, we, yeah. It's gone, man. You know, it's, yeah. it's a great thing. You know, yeah. I think you know you can just do it, and move on. You can go, and, you can go and be another person. You know, and that's great. Yeah. Man. I think it's. I mean, one of the things I don't know because I've never been in one, but I can imagine like the other thing is you get into a soap and you've got these regular waves because you know in, in music and acting you have your good fucking times and the, and the bad times with the money. You shouldn't be categorised for one particular thing. You no, I mean, so you know, you can get quite comfortable also on X amount of pounds a fucking month. You know, on a on a soap opera, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it'll keep you quite comfy and... My auntie's asked me to ask you. <laughs> yeah. When that snake bit your hand, mate, how did you stay so fucking cool? Well, as we all know, it's... It's, it's, sure it's, <laughs> it's a reality, it's TV, isn't it? I mean, nothing in TV's really real. I mean, it was a show business snake. You know, it had been starring parts in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> the guys bringing all these fucking animals in their cages with purple cushions and, you know, furry yeah. wheels. He's turned off 15 around. minutes late like Elvis, hasn't he? Well, yeah. you know, and, and they've got all these animals that they bring in and, you know, they're real celebrity fucking gerbils and they're insured for hundreds of thousands of pounds. and. And when this little fucking thing bit me, and, and it's like glass, I mean, I wanted to smash its head on the fucking, you know, on the floor, and round a tree, but you know that it's a showby snake. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's Elvis or whatever in, yeah. in snake world. Yeah. So you just got to grin and bear it. You won a lot of parts with that. Do you come run her up? Yeah. I've had animal encounters before. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, 
I was, you know, I was walking to school one morning, about seven years old or something. I'm going to school, and a fucking dog runs across the road, and a lorry fucking takes the dog's back legs off. Right? And it howled and screeched and to the side of the road. Lorry fucks off. So I have to go over to the dog and move his fucking hind legs, and, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to comfort the fucking dog, and it bit me. Uh, so we ended up, we got the dog, can't remember how we did it because there was no telephones or anything else like that, but the dog got dealt with and then I had to go straight off and have a tetanus, you know, and then when we was in Barbados, or Jamaica, one of them, there was a fucking a, a, a baboon there that they called Jack the Ripper because this mo- motherfucker had killed, like, you know, <laughs> three babies and five adults and was going around in the, you know, sort of huts and, and killing people and this I'm going to the beach one one morning and this motherfucking thing just dropped out of the tree in front of me so it's about my size but big powerful fucking thing right there and it's like with dogs obviously dogs they smell fear so you know you just fuck off do you crack yourself of course Fucking do you, you yeah. <laughs> Fucking rip your fucking head off bastard and the fucking thing just looked at me and fucked off you know so <laughs> They, you know, they can smell fear, so I mean, you know, like, I've always done this sort of thing with animals, you know. They're nice, aren't they, really? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I prefer them to fucking people. Yeah, big time. My old bloke preferred fucking dogs to people. Yeah. On the reality, <laughs> reality TV side, Armour 70 was the first, was it the first one you did? No, did Ghost Hunters. Oh, of course, yeah. But you've done quite a bit since, is it? Yeah, well, like I just explained about the TV things, I do pick them carefully. Yeah. You know, I like story genres and things like that. You know, you, you pick them because you pick up fans on them. It's yeah. now the new way, you know, of bringing new fans into, you know, yeah, into your band. Yeah, a new audience to it. Yeah. You know, it's like I was the moody fucking rocker dressed in black for fucking 20-odd years, you know what I mean? And... And, and nobody knows who you, you really are because you keep it that way. Yeah. I've seen the band and you just do interviews and a few things. And, you know, but at, at the time, which is, is 10 years ago now, so I was, you know, I was approaching 50, I was fucking 48 or 49 years old, and that would be the right time for me to do that. Yeah. You know, if I got asked to do it at 21, no, I don't know if I'd have done it. Well, it, it Although now, because of the attitude changing and everything, if I does come in the business and may, you know, even done it in, you know, at 21. Well, at, at 21 now, it could be a career ender rather than, if, you, if you're a young band coming in and you go, all right, we'll go straight to the jungle, you look, look like you're going straight to try and make it the wrong way. Again, it all depends who you are. Look, one of the reasons that I had a piece of it as well is, Bez worked out well on it and so yes. did Johnny Rotten. Bez yes. worked out yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the... Uh, yeah, in the brother. house and big yeah, brother yeah. and then Johnny he was in it fucking out of it in the blink of an eye but the impression that he made you got to see a side of Johnny Rotten that you didn't see before yeah, you know yeah, I mean proper. I've seen Johnny's TV shows in America you know where he's doing his bug hunting and all that lot right you know so it was like even on that you got to see him you know who, who he that, is it's real man yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you, Sean would you do uh, would you be up for doing like bad rules something like that would well I got offered that didn't I Did you? Offered yeah. bear, oh, but really? I can't do it because I've just had a fucking hip operation yeah, no yeah. I mean it's a great great show you know and if I wouldn't I mean the thing is I can never jump one of the best buzzies I've ever had you know more than fucking drugs or <laughs> was jumping out of a fucking helicopter at fucking 15 or 17 thousand feet 
you know, and, and now I will never able to do that again. Because really? I've got a fucking a plate there where, you know, instead of a fucking normal lip. Just going back to, to <clears throat> reality TV, was there something about you that wanted to show the nation exactly what you was about? Was it, was it a positive experience for you? Well, look, it's just another career move at nearly 50 years old. Yeah. You know, you, you've got a different career as a young kid, right? And, and once you, you know, once you get in your 40s, your career's going in a different path, in a different way, you know, and I was almost 50 when I did that. Also, I'd been in receivership for 14 years, and what that meant was that for 14 years, I had 100% of my income took off me. I 100%, everything's took off you, you don't get anything. They didn't, I had X amount of children at the time at fucking private schools and everything. They didn't give a fuck about that, they just took the lot, and, the bad thing about it was I couldn't go bankrupt. Because if I'd have gone bankrupt, I'd lose all my writing royalties and my albums yeah. and everything, right? You never Which get that back. It's a source of income. And they're not mine like anymore. the musician's pension. Yeah. yeah. You know, so again, because that's a business, you know, the receivership will get paid for them till the end of time. And then because all your income's being took off you, you're not, the, the rules are you can't borrow. People have to give you money. Like, so, I mean, basically, these fuckers wanted me living in a cardboard box under the subway. At the end, I'm renting a fucking cottage for £500 a month uh, in, in fucking Glossop somewhere, right? And I'd get knocks on the door, and it's like, well, how are you paying for that? And how can you pay your electric bill? I mean, these motherfuckers are ruthless. And, that, and you can't get out of it. I mean, what starts off... As it was what it was is I'd have fallen out with management and they got awarded 130 grand. Now at the time I was in my thirties and I was still a bit raw and I'm going, why should I give them a fucking penny? You're getting fuck all off me, you cheeky robbing bastards, right? And before I know it, boom boom boom, I've got the receivers after me. And that 120 grand, 130 grand, right, they send out a letter. Right, telling you something that it cost five pounds, you've got to pay for that letter. Before you know it, that five pound letter is 17 pounds, and then it's fucking X amount, and then it's a hundred pounds, and everything, any phone call that they make to you, so interest, interest, and interest. And it never stays, they'll, they'll never tell you how much you owe, so you can just find something, right? It, it's a real motherfucker, and they had it for 14 years. So, uh, you know, eventually when I got out of it, I got a guy called Brian Fugler, who was George, who got George Best out of his shit and, you know, won George Best case for him. But Brian, they still didn't do a, a normal deal. They went on the fucking golf course, I mean, a game of golf, with the receivers and Brian, and a deal was worked out after 14 years. So when you come out of that, you've then got to pay off because you need all different types of lawyers. You've got to have your tax lawyer, you've got to have uh, the lawyers on child maintenance, you, you end up with three, four different types of lawyers, right? That are all, you know, embarrassed, you know, fucking, and you have to pay all them off. So, by the time I was going in the jungle in 2010, when I went in, I was still under receivership, but it was about to finish. So when it came out, by the time I come out, receivership w was just finished, so I could keep the dough, but it couldn't keep it anyway, because you had to pay that off to the lawyers that had got you out of that deal. No, so it took another three years to pay off all the fucking lawyers. The one, the one thing I wanted to ask you today was coming through that because I remember watching a documentary when I was very young. I was first listening to the Mondays, I first getting into music about when you was going through that time. And I loved the first Black Grape album, and it's a, a classic. I love Black Grape, 
the question I was going to ask you is, do you regret being in the band in that process because of what came subsequently? No, I regret not after. just giving these fuckers 130 yeah. grand. And know, just having it out and just seeing smartest it. thing to do, you know. I mean, even if they signed a, a deal with you, but right? they didn't let me pay it off yeah. at fucking, you know, ten pound or whatever or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I'll just pay it. You know, I mean that's. But because of where my head was at, it was like you're getting fuck off. Well, that, that regardless of where your head is at. I think that as a man of integrity who, who considers himself an artist is entitled to, to feel like that, you know? Was it well, slightly a, a little bit of arrogance on, or like a little bit of they won't take anything off me? And then it, yeah, so, of course, yeah. I mean, that's why you know, yeah, I wasn't yeah. having it. It was like, fuck yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. You're not getting nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you can never beat the system. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard work, isn't it, man? You're trying to fight a contract. It's, you're never going to win, are you? No. They've got the body, you know. Yeah. They've got it on you, man. I mean, and again, what I also, you know, this may have just been my head, but when I was in the court with the judges and everything, I really felt a resentment off a lot of the, like, the judge type, what, because, you know, I was working class. I really did feel this fucking resentment yeah. that I shouldn't have been in the position that I was in or yeah. record companies was always looking for the real thing yes. you know in music you know really do what you got to get these artists right and they're making either you know street music punk whatever fucking rap and they want the real thing but when you get the real thing you're frightened of it right because they're not controllable because they'll lose the patience so I'll say fuck off no yeah. I don't care I'll set you on fire fuck off <laughs> and they then they go out and you find a middle class bunch of kids who are controllable, the more and business playing in a way, and then, the, the, you know, they're, they're the ones that will get me pumped up to the top of the pile. But they're never as real, they're never as good as the real. But the, the, the thing is, with working class kids is, you know, you're not controllable. Even if you're smart and you're young, I mean, and you can see the game, they're still really frightened of you. Are we concluding this now? Yeah. It's been an absolute whirlwind and been one of the best experiences that I think that any of the boys... Cheers, guys. Cheers up on the Guinness. Cheers, Aaron Bodge. James Boris. And Wayne. And Wayne. And Wayne. And Wayne. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.